Well, hello, everyone. It is nice to see you. Um, if I haven't seen you this year, it is great to see you. I hope that you've had a good start to 2016. And um, just welcome, welcome if you're here for the first time. Nice to see you all. Just maybe some family news that you don't know or some of you would know. Garth and Joanne had a beautiful little baby this week, Zoe Rose Stratum. So if you haven't met her, she was born at 3.93 kg. So she's a big little baby, but she is so, so cute. And um, I'm sure you'll get to meet her soon and we'll be dedicating her in this church soon too. So if you don't know me, my name is Grant and I am one of the pastors in this church. And this morning we're starting a series we've talked about for a while called The Other Six Days. It's something we're really pumped about doing and we're really pumped about starting the year with this series because I think it'll be a good foundation for us. I think it'll really lay vision for us at the start of this year. And I think it is going to open our eyes to some new things in God. So what we're going to do is for eight weeks on a Sunday, starting today, starting with two weeks of kind of zooming out to look at the bigger picture things of what the gospel is all about, and also looking at the purpose that God has got for all of our lives, and then zooming in to our daily lives, to work and marriage and family and other everyday stuff that is just part of our lives, we want to look at how the gospel changes everything. And then what we want to do is on Tuesday nights, we're going to be running a life group series as well, where what we're going to do Tuesday after Tuesday is we're going to look at different characters in the Bible, and we're going to look at their lives, and we're going to look at how their faith reshaped their lives and their decision-making and the situations that they found themselves in. So I think it's going to be a really great way for us really to give ourselves a huge dose of these ideas and thinking to shape how we follow Jesus in all of life. So as Shane said already, if you're not part of a life group, I would love you to get involved in one over this time. Now is a really great time to start and get involved because this is the start of the year. It's the start of a new series. And um, if you don't know anything about them, you can come and chat to me or one of the elders afterwards or go downstairs at our information desk. We've got some flyers with a whole bunch of information on them. I also wanted to let you know Krista and Marika Klein will be starting a life group next Tuesday, which is something we're really pumped about. They're in Pretoria this weekend, settling their daughter into um, varsity, but they'll be here and they'll be starting a group. And I just wanted to say, if you're not in a group, their group's a great opportunity to get involved because it's new. So you're not a new person going to an old group that's already established. You will be one of the founder members. You will be there from day one. You will be there from the ground up. And I think that's a really, really cool opportunity to get involved and be part of what's going on. But now with all of that aside, what is the other six days all about? What is the series that we're doing all about. And really, it's about this, these few ideas. There's some people, maybe in this church or in churches, who for them, Sunday and the Sunday worship service is everything of their Christianity. They walk in the doors, and they'll sing the songs, maybe raise their hands, pray a prayer, listen to a message being preached, maybe even give a little bit of money. But as they walk out of the building that day, it's like they've checked out of their faith, you know? They've done their God slots, and now they can get on with business as usual. And I think that is a real thing in our country. It's a real thing in our world. And I think it's one of the reasons that so many Christians are called hypocrites by outsiders looking in because we're willing to take on the name of Christian, but we're actually not following Jesus. We actually aren't living according to his teachings. We actually aren't serving him as our Lord. On top of that, maybe on the other end of the spectrum, there's a whole bunch of Christians who know Jesus and they love Jesus and they want Jesus to be the center of their lives and everything. But really, they've only been trained and taught and discipled to live for Jesus and how Jesus relates to the spiritual parts of life. So they understand Jesus when it comes to prayer or involvement in church or sharing their faith or singing worship songs. But really, if we're honest about, about all of this stuff, that takes up probably about 5 or 10% of our lives. It's a small portion of our daily weeks, sorry, of our weekdays. 
But what about the other 90%? We see that this 10% of spiritual stuff is important to God, but what about the other 90%? What about when we sweep the floors or cut our toenails or go grocery shopping or go to work or spend time with family or friends? What about those ordinary everyday things that are a part of life? Does God care about that stuff? Does God care about 90% of how we spend our time and how we spend our lives? It's a big question to ask. What about tomorrow, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday? What does God think about all of that stuff? There's a Christian writer named Dorothy Sayers, and she says this. It's a thought-provoking quote. How can anyone remain interested in a religion which seems to have no concern with nine-tenths of his life? And what we want to do in the other six-day series is we want to look at Jesus, and we want to see how he reshapes all of our life. We want to look at how the gospel changes everything and how the truths of who God is, what he's done, his love, his grace, his forgiveness, and his power should be filtering into every part of every day of our lives and changing how we do things and why we do things, the motives and the actions that we live out, because this is a big deal. Jesus is a big deal. This is hopefully going to be a very, very practical series, and I trust as we go through this, you will understand more and more how your faith in Jesus changes work and the work ethic that you've got, how it reshapes our marriages and our families, how it reshapes how we look at money, how we treat our friends, and how we treat people that we don't like, people who are very different to us, people who are out there, really how it changes everything. In this series, our hope is that we would see that God is involved in and that everything uh, in our lives is important to him. Now, I don't know how many of you have read through the whole book of Leviticus. It's the third book in the Old Testament, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus. I'm studying through it at the moment, so it's a little bit fresh inside of me. But the book of Leviticus is interesting because in it we find written down for the Israelite people, the people of God in the Old Testament, how to live life in every day, how to live out every single part of life. So firstly, we see this kind of section of things. We see how to purify yourself to go to the temple. We see how to wash your hands before you make a sacrifice, what to sacrifice in different situations and for different sins, and teachings about law and atonement and justice and mercy. You know, all of the spiritual stuff I've been talking about already. And then we see a second section of teachings. Teachings about what to do when you've got a rash or a skin disease. Teachings about what to do if there is mold in your house. Teachings about the kind of clothing that you wear. Or what to do if your donkey falls in a hole on a Sunday. Which I think is the equivalent of if your car breaks down on the way to church, how you handle that situation. Leviticus talks about economics. It talks about how we handle poverty and the poor. And it even talks about menstruation and wet dreams. You know, the other six days, everyday life, 90% kind of stuff that we're talking about here. And I bring that stuff up because we've got to ask ourselves, why does it talk about all of these things? Why not just the spiritual stuff, prayer, worship, evangelism, church? Why does it get into some of those more gross, everyday, ordinary things? And I think the answer is obvious. It's because God is interested in all of that stuff. It's because all of that stuff matters to life. Uh, to God. All of our lives matters to Him. And I want to say, yes, God cares about whether you are sharing your faith and whether you're evangelizing others. And yes, God cares about your prayer life. But God also cares about your sex life. He cares about your home life. He cares about your work life. He cares about our private lives. He cares about every part of who we are and what we do. I want to say that God cares about your heart and your soul and your mind. 
And God also cares about your bank accounts and your feelings. Maybe you're going through a hard time. Maybe you're suffering. Maybe you're in pain. Maybe you can't believe what you are going through at the moment. God cares about that. Your joys and successes. He cares about your career. And he cares about the holidays that some of us have just had. And in this series, what we want to do is look at all of those things and provoke our thinking to see how the gospel, the message of who Jesus is and what he has done, filters into all of life and it transforms how we live. It transforms how we think. It transforms how we see ourselves. And our hope is that in this series, that something would happen inside of us beyond just shaping where we spend our Sunday mornings, that actually this series would reshape how we live all of life for God. That is really our desire with this series, that this community wouldn't just be a community that comes into this room on Sunday mornings and sings some songs and prays and listens to something as a nice cup of tea and then goes, but this uh, community would be a community that leaves here on a Sunday and then we go out into our Mondays and Tuesdays to live for God and to bring Him glory in the things that we do and in the places that we go. So with all of that in mind as an introduction for the series, if you could turn to Colossians 3 in your Bible. If you don't have one with you here, it'll pop up on the screen behind me. We're going to read from verse 5 to 17 before and just look at a little bit of um, what Paul had to write down, which should shape our thinking and all of this stuff. Colossians 3 verse 5 says this, Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil design, covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. And these you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices, and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator." Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave-free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony, and let the peace of Christ Rule in your hearts, to which indeed you are called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. If you haven't read the book of Colossians before, it's four chapters. Why not go home this afternoon and read it through? And what's amazing is in Colossians 1 and 2, Paul spends two chapters looking at Jesus, looking at how incredible he is, looking at how beautiful and powerful and amazing he is, and looking at the cross and what Jesus has done for us. Two chapters of powerful spiritual poetry about Jesus and the cross. And it's like at the end of chapter 2, what Paul does is he's had the camera focusing on Jesus and the cross. It's like he pans across now from those things and focuses in on us. And it's as if he's saying in chapter 3 and 4, now that you've seen him and you've seen what he's done, what are you going to do with this truth? 
It's like he's saying, in light of all of Jesus and what he's done, how are you going to live? How does this change your life? How does this change everything for you? And I want to say it is quite a radical passage. If you look at the words in there, it is very strong. It is very radical. It is quite extreme, actually. He talks about taking off and putting on. He talks about the old self, and he talks about the new self, and he talks about putting some stuff in our lives to death because we are following Jesus and we are living a new way. See, Paul is calling us to a completely different life, not a slightly different life, not a life where Jesus is an addition, but a completely different life shaped completely by who he is and what he has done. And Paul is saying in this passage that everything needs to change. And one of the things that really stands out to me here and in a whole bunch of Paul's other writings, and we're going to look at a whole lot of little verses of things that Paul says together this morning. Paul starts with Jesus and what he's done. And he says, in light of that, you should live that way. We see it in verse 10 here in Colossians 3, where he says, live this way because you are made in the image of your creator. Then in verse 12 and 13, he says something similar. He says, put on, this new life of yours should look like this. Put on compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. Why or how? as the Lord has forgiven you. And we see this line of thinking the whole way through Paul's writings and the New Testament. We see Jesus, we see what he's done, we see the cross, we see the grace and love and forgiveness and power of God on our behalf. And now he says, live changed lives in light of those beautiful truths. Live differently because of what he's done. And we see him writing about these things everywhere. I had this down, but Brendan shared this in our prayer meeting. In 1 Corinthians 2, verse 1 and 2, it says, And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And Paul's saying here for any of you budding preachers that the goal of preaching isn't to use fancy words and to make wise points. Those things are always good to do. But he's saying that's not the goal. You haven't won at preaching if you do that. He's saying you win at preaching if you talk about Jesus and the cross. He's saying the goal of preaching is to talk about him and what he's done, to make people see those things. All the other stuff is a bonus, but that is the goal. Look at Jesus. Look at what he has done for us. And that's what Paul preached and what he wrote about here. That's what we aim to preach every Sunday as we stand up here. And I want to say that's what Jesus has commissioned every single one of us in this church to preach and to share with other people as we go out from here into the world around us and as we live our lives and as we interact with other people. That's what we're to share about. And I want to say in some ways, I think the gospel message is so simple. It is really, really easy. You can sum it up in a few words, something like God loves you, Jesus saves those kind of basic sayings. It's a simple message. But this simple message is what reshapes everything for us. The gospel message is what should change the culture of our lives. And the whole idea of the series is looking at how the gospel changes the cultures of our lives, of our homes, of how we work, of how we do marriage and friendship, of how we treat people who hate us, of how we spend time as we go to the shops now. It should change our thinking and our living and everything about us that we would live for the glory of Jesus from Monday to Sunday. If you're going to follow Jesus, that requires some pretty big changes, some pretty, pretty big new ways of thinking, some pretty big uh, transformation of how we live our lives. And I want to look at three big ideas today that I think if we get right in our lives will change us significantly. This is our foundation for the rest of the series. 
The first thing is the gospel needs to change our thinking. It's about our worldview. It's about our mindset. The gospel needs to change how we think. And Paul, again, talking about all of these things in Romans 12, verse 2, says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what the will of God is, what is good and acceptable and perfect. We need to let the gospel renew and reshape the way we think about everything. We need the gospel to be the starting point for how we look at life, for how we live, for how we see other people, for how we process things, for our views, our values, our thinking, and our understanding of everything. And this verse is a profound verse, Callum, if you can put it back up. It's really, really filled with some interesting things in there. And I don't know if you noticed there the word transformed. It comes from a cool Greek word, metamorpho. And it's where we get the word metamorphosis from. And metamorphosis, you'll see this cool picture. Metamorphosis here means a change of the form or nature of a person into a completely different thing. And we see that here. I mean, if I hadn't been taught this in school, if I didn't know this because of science, I would never believe that a caterpillar became a butterfly. You know, you can kind of get it with the process as we look at that. But like that is just not an obvious leap for me. You know, those are two very different things that look very different. And it is incredible that the one becomes the other. And when Paul is speaking about this stuff here, and when he talks about this transformation, this metamorphosis that we are to go through in our thinking, he's talking about this. Where once you looked like the caterpillar, we must become like the butterfly. When once we thought in this way, we need to start to think in a new way completely. Everything needs to change. He's talking about a renewal of our minds. And the word renew means you had an old way of thinking, and now it needs to become new. You had a caterpillar way of thinking, and now it needs to become butterfly. And it's like what he is saying is the old ways that we need to take off and the new ways that we need to put on have to do with our thinking too. Think of who you were before Jesus. Think of who you were before you were in him, when you were still in your sin. That way of thinking needs to be transformed and changed into a completely new way of thinking that is based in Jesus Christ, who he is and what he's done. And he compares this renewal of our minds with conformity to the world around us. And he says to us, you know what, we need to be transformed. We need to be renewed in our minds. And we mustn't conform to the old way of life. We mustn't conform to the world that is around us. And I want to just say here that I think that a lot of Christians in our society conform to the world around us. And I know that from speaking to a number of you too, we see that, you know. We are not being renewed in our minds. We are not being transformed into the ways of Christ. We are becoming like the world around us. I think some Christians have gone from caterpillar to the chrysalis, and they've started to come out, and then they've gone straight back in, and they've regressed to caterpillar phase. They've conformed to the ways of the world around them. And Jesus is saying that is not the way it should be. When I joined Red Point Church about 13 years ago, I think the pendulum had swung here. And I think one of the things that we saw is that Christians were often very separated and segregated from the world around them. It's like the pendulum had swung this way. Most Christians only knew Christian people, only hung out with Christian people, only went to Christian places, and they were very holy and moral and good, but disconnected from the rest of the world. And I think what I've seen in the last 13 years, in my experience, and maybe you'd agree with me, is it's like the pendulum has swung to the other end. We've almost said, this is not a good place to be. This is not right. This is not Jesus' way. But instead of correcting correctly, we've swung all the way to the other side. When I think Christians now 
have conformed to the pattern of the world around them. We've said we were so disconnected from culture, but now we're too much like culture. We were too separate from the world around us, where Jesus would go and live among people who were very different and very far from him. And now we find that we've overcorrected, and we've become too much like the world around us in our thinking and our living. We need to come back to the middle. We want to live in this world. We want to know people who are far from Jesus, but we also want to live out his ways and live in a holy way. Can I call you to the renewal of your minds? Can I call you not to be conformed to the ways of this world? Can I call all of us to be transformed, to be metamorphosized into the image of Jesus, that he would be formed in us, that we would look different, that we would live out his ways and teachings in this world? That requires some pretty big changing. I'm sure you would agree with me. But it starts with our minds. Be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Will you begin to put on the thinking of Jesus, the thinking of the gospel, a renewal of your mind that would change everything about how we live in the world that we find ourselves in? We need to let the gospel reshape our thinking. My second point this morning is about identity. The gospel needs to change who we are and how we see ourselves. And Callum is going to put up a picture of me now, which is going to embarrass me just a little bit. But this is who I was Nine and a half years ago. That's me kick-flipping down a set of stairs, F&B Bank in Kloof. And um, what a good-looking young man I was. eh? When I was 12 years old, a friend of mine took me skateboarding at Thomas More School up in Kloof. I had so much fun. Like We had a really, really good time. And then I remember going and drawing money out of my bank and going to game stores where I bought a Maui and Sons skateboard. And I loved it, eh? I would be out there on the road or out there in a parking lot as often as I could, skateboarding, learning new tricks, hanging out with friends. And more and more, quite quickly, skateboarding became my primary identity. And what I mean by that is I was a lot of things. I was a son. I was a brother. I was a dog owner. I was a student at Clufa School, and I was a stamp collector, which you can also call a philatelist. But very, very quickly, this became my primary identity. I would see myself as a skateboarder, and I would use the money I had to buy new skateboarding stuff. So when Christmas came, or a birthday came, or I had some extra money, I'd want to buy a new deck, or some new part for the board, or new shoes, or I would go and I would import these very expensive skateboarding shirts with skateboarding brands on because it mattered to me. And I would go to civvies days or hang out around my friends who didn't skateboard, and they would have no idea that this was a very expensive t-shirt for back then. They would have no idea about the brand or the logo that was on it, but to me it mattered because I wanted to connect with the subculture. This is the identity that I wanted to have. I wanted to be associated with this thing, and it didn't matter if anyone else knew, because this was what was important to me. The point I'm trying to make is I was living out of my new identity. And it is a silly little story about a 12-year-old boy growing up, but the point is it would be very naive for us to think that that ends in childhood. Because as we grow up, we do exactly the same things. We decide that we're going to take on new primary identities which shape our lives, how we spend our money, how we use our time, how we think about ourselves, and what we do. And the point of what I'm trying to say today is our primary identity will shape who we become. How we see ourselves determines how we will live. And if Jesus is not your primary identity, if he is not at the root or the base of how you see yourself or who you are, you know what? Something else is. Something else is shaping your life, how you live, how you think, what you do. And that thing rules you. It's a scary thought, and it's a powerful thought too. Paul talks about this in Colossians 3 when he talks about the old self 
and he talks about the new self. And he's talking about this very clear distinction of life before Christ and then life in Christ. Life in our old self, in sin, and now life in him and in righteousness and the forgiveness of sins. And he's talking about how our thinking, identity, and behavior is all changed by what Jesus has done for us. These things are actually incredibly interlinked. And we see it again in one of Paul's writings in Ephesians 5, verse 1 and 2. He says, Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice for God. And I see three things here. Gospel thinking, gospel identity, and gospel behavior. I'm going to say the word gospel a lot today, because this is the foundation we're really trying to put inside of ourselves. But we see that all there. Paul, again, is saying the gospel, what Jesus has done for us, should be the basis for how we see ourselves and how we live. He says there in verse 2, walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. And this is Paul's identity for a new self and for a new way of life. And then Paul writes about our new identity as followers of Jesus and calls us beloved children. And says, as beloved children of your Father in heaven, would you be imitators of God? people who copy and look to and follow and live out the ways of God in this world. I'm saying all of that because identity changes activity. How we see ourselves determines how we will live in this world. Wisey is going to come up again at the end with the band, and he's going to lead us in one of the songs that we've been doing a lot recently, which I really, really love. It's that song, Good, Good Father. And I think it is such a simple song. You probably know all the words off by heart already. And in it, there is such beautiful theology and truth about God and ourselves where it says, you're a good, good father. It's who you are. And I'm loved by you. That's who I am. And it's beautiful about who God is. It's beautiful about who we are. And I really hope those truths sink into our hearts. But that's exactly what Paul is trying to say in this passage. It's what theologians have been saying for centuries. St. Augustine, one of the great Christian writers, said, If the entire Bible could be encapsulated in a single sentence, then it would cry out like the resounding waves of the sea, The Father loves you. You want a short Bible summary? It's that. The (laughs) Bible. The Bible loves you. The Father loves you. The Bible's great, but it's, it's just there for reading. The Father loves you. That's your identity. That's the primary base reality of who you are in God's eyes. And I want to ask if you believe that. I want to ask you today, is that your core identity? Is that the base of how you see yourselves, of who you are? And I realize some of you are sitting here today and you're saying, Grant, I know you talk a lot about God's love and grace, but I don't think that's true for me. And you might be sitting there thinking, Grant, you're telling me that God loves me. The the truest thing about me is that I am the beloved of God, a beloved child of God, but you don't know what I'm going through. You don't know what I've experienced. You don't know how hard life is. You don't know what I've been suffering. It can't be true. God can't love me if I'm going through this at the moment. And I don't pretend to empathize with your pain and the reality of what you're going through. But I do want to say that God still loves you and it is still true about you. And I heard this beautiful analogy recently. And today's probably a good example because it is so overcast. Is that the sun is shining today. The sun is shining over us even though we can't see it and maybe we can't feel the warmth of the sun. Even though the clouds are just or covering the sun that we can't see it, it is still true. And I want you to remember that every day, whether it's raining or whether it's shining and hot and sunny, the sun is shining. And it's the same truth for us, whether you feel loved by God or not. The truest thing about you is that you are the beloved of God. Whether the clouds are out or not, God loves you. You are his beloved. It is true and nothing 
can change that. The third point I want to make today is about our behavior or activity and how the gospel needs to change how we live. Really what we're talking about in the other six days is what gospel-transformed lives look like. And Paul writes about this in Colossians 3, verse 7 and 8. And he says, In these sins or ways you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. And the gist of it is Paul is saying everything needs to change if you are in Christ. If you are here and you're a follower of Jesus, it needs to change. The way you think needs to change. Your identity and the way you see yourself needs to change. And the way you live your life needs to change because you belong to him and because you are his. And one of the things we love to preach about is that Jesus is our savior, that he died on the cross in our place for our sin, that we could be forgiven and reconciled to God. It's a beautiful truth. But I want to say today that Jesus is also our teacher. He is our great teacher who has given us his teachings, his commands, and his ways, and he expects us to obey them. He expects us to learn them and to live them out. He expects us to study them and think them through and understand them and apply them to our lives. He expects us to be students of the great teacher. And I want to know, are you doing that? Are you a student of Jesus? Is he your rabbi? Is he the one who is leading you forward and leading your life? Are you obedient to him? And I rewrote this next part about five times because I just really didn't know how to say it. And when talking about how we live our lives, I think there's this real fear for me or reality that I could be quite legalistic and harsh today and say, live better, try harder, be a better person, which is not what I want to do. I know that we, well, I trust that we are all trying to follow Jesus imperfectly. And, you know, we want to accept you as you are, come as you are, but we don't want to leave you as you are. We want to encourage you and challenge you and set an example for you and love each one of you and for you to me, because I'm on this process too, that we would go forward in the ways of Jesus. If you're in sin, we want to challenge you. If you're struggling, we want to comfort you. If uh, you need some love, we want to love you. You know, all of that stuff. But I want to call us to gospel transform lives today, lives that look different. And I thought maybe what I could do is tell you one of the ways that my life changed when I became a follower of Jesus. And I thought, I don't want to make this about me. And I thought maybe what I could do is there's some amazing stories in this church of people making decisions, of people giving things up, of people doing something that is hard because they know that it's the right thing. They know it's what Jesus is calling them to do. So they've done it even though they've cost, it's cost them something. And I could do that and it would probably be helpful, but it didn't seem right. I thought I could probably find a story of someone who had a very sinful lifestyle and then they became a Christian and started to follow Jesus and their life was completely changed. But I don't want to do that today. What I thought I would do, because I think this is the best way that I can put this forward, is I really just want to have a heart-to-heart with you this morning, church. If I look at the pages of the Bible and what Jesus calls us to, if I look at his teachings and his radical commands, if I look at the early church and the lives that the people in the church lived, it is incredible. But I think for me and for many of you, because I know I've discussed this with many in this church, as our eyes lift up off the page onto people around us, Christians around us in the city and beyond, the reality is there is a huge discrepancy or difference between what the Bible talks about and what people are actually living in the city of Durban at this time. I wasn't sure if I'd share this verse, but I will because I think it's good. Jesus says in Matthew 5 verse 19, Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commands and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. And it is such a strong thing. 
I don't know what the least command that you can think of that Jesus gives is, but he says you relax that. You make that a little bit more soft and tame and chilled out. You will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. And that is a that makes me feel distraught. Can you imagine one day you stand before God and you've done all of this stuff for him, but because you have relaxed and minimized and softened the radical things that Jesus says, he calls you least in the kingdom. It was a devastating thought to me. And my heart-to-heart moment is to say this. I am shocked as a pastor to hear of some of the things that are happening in people's lives. And it's often not in this church. So this is really not pointed at us. But I get to hear the stories of many things going on in many churches, in many lives, the way many Christians live. And I honestly am heartbroken by so much of it. I hear these stories of things that people have approved of, the way people have gone forward in their thinking. They've been renewed and then they've regressed. They've gone back to the old ways of thinking. People have started to live out the ways of Jesus and then they've been conformed again to the pattern of the world around them. People have started to follow Jesus and now they're following other things and living for other things. That pendulum I spoke about has swung to the wrong end. And I want to say, because I think Jesus is the most important thing in the world, I think following him is the most important thing that we can do, because I think being the beloved of God is the truest thing about us, and it should change everything about our lives, that I don't think that's okay. I don't think that's okay, that people are watering down and lowering the bar of what Jesus has called us to do. And I want to ask us, Red Point Durban, to raise the bar of holiness and raise the bar of righteousness and raise the bar of passion and drop apathy and worldliness and all of the stuff behind and say, Jesus, I want to follow you and I want to live for you and I'm imperfect and flawed and I'll mess up a bit, but I want to take you seriously. Because I don't think it's okay that we minimize these beautiful truths of Jesus. Instead, I think it would be so beautiful if we saw the gospel reshape us more and more and more in deeper and fuller ways in the other six days of life. I want to call us to live gospel-transformed lives. That in every area of our lives, we are following Jesus with everything that we are and everything that we have. I wanted to end with a story after that slightly stronger moment. I'm sure many of you would have seen that um, there was a very high Powerball lottery in the U.S. recently. In fact, three people won it last week, $1.58 billion, billion dollars. When you times that by 16 point whatever it is now, that is a lot of money. Each of the three winners of the lottery won $528.8 million, which is just under 9 billion rand. Imagine winning 9 billion rand. Imagine how that could change your life. Imagine almost the responsibility of that money. Imagine how much you could do, how many lives you could touch and change. Imagine the um, opportunity of that money. I was uh, with Shell and my mother-in-law, Kathy, and we were talking the other night, and Kathy told us this funny story about an English couple, a couple in the UK who won a similar lottery. They won 800 million rand. So a lot less, I'm sorry, it's not 9 billion, 800 million rand. Imagine you going from one day with all the possessions you have, all of the financial freedom that you have, the next day, boom, 800 million rand is in your bank account. It is a game changer. And they interviewed this man and his wife and they said, well, you've won all of this money. What is it you're going to do with it? And he very sweetly said, well, you know, brogues, you know those leather shoes? I've gotten very expensive. They're about 200 pounds now. So I think I'm going to buy a pair of brogues. And they said, okay, well, what are you going to buy to the wife? And she said, well, it would be really nice to fly our daughter out so that she could have a holiday from us. 
And I really hope if I ever win 800 million rand, that that is the way I respond, that I don't go crazy, that I would stay humble and grounded in terms of everything. But you know what I honestly think with them? They haven't grasped the reality of what's changed. Everything has changed for them. 800 million, 9 billion rand is a game changer. I'm sure that's a lot to take in. And I don't think their thinking has changed. We have 8 million rand, 800 million rand. We can do anything that we want, really. I don't think their identity had changed. I think they saw themselves the way they had always seen themselves. We are normal people, not we are almost billionaires, you know. I don't think that their lifestyle had really changed. All they'd really done was bought things that were a little bit more expensive, that were slight luxuries for them with the money that they'd gotten. They'd won the lottery and nothing had really changed. And I want to say to us, Red Point Durban, in Christ, you have won the ultimate lottery. In Christ, there is nothing better that you could receive than what Jesus has done for you. And that has been credited to the bank account of your life. Your sins are forgiven. You are reconciled to God. You are adopted into his family. Your eternity is secure in him. You have a new identity. Jesus has changed everything about your life. And I think for some of us, maybe like the people who won the lottery, it's true of us, but we're still grasping that truth. Our thinking needs to change. The way we see ourselves needs to change. And the way we live our lives needs to change because of who Jesus is and what he's done for us. And when we start to grasp that, it will flow into the Monday to Saturday parts of our lives. It will reshape the other six days. And I believe us, we could be a model church to the city around us. And we could see the message of Jesus go out and impact many, many people for God's glory. Could you stand with me? Wazi and the band are going to come up, and we're going to sing a song together, and then I'm going to pray for us. But I wanted to leave you with one last thought before we sing. Our faith and what happens here on a Sunday is worthless if it doesn't shape the other six days of the week. This is meaningless, and we can close this down if as we leave this building today, nothing changes and everything stays the same. Either Jesus is everything, and that means everything changes, or Jesus is nothing, and really we're wasting our time here. Colossians 3 verse 17 says, And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. As the band lead us in the song, I'd love you to pray, respond to God in your own way. Maybe it's a moment of repentance or praying for God's power for your life. But we want to respond to God and ask him to meet with us.